It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Two times in the Word of God, God refers to His new covenant people as children of wisdom. What a beautiful title resting upon us, children of wisdom. And not only is it only mentioned two times, those two times are parallel passages. So it's one incident in the ministry of Jesus where he refers to his people this way. Let's explore it by going to the backstory. Let's uh, pull out some very important verses from the conversation that Jesus had with the disciples of John the Baptist. John sent them to Jesus and they said, are you the coming one or should we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things that you've seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. So apparently there was something about Jesus's methods of ministry, something about his message that was slightly offensive to John and made him disbelieve the claim that he was the Messiah. Or maybe he fought in his mind the possibility that maybe he had missed it. And that when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he had somehow prophesied wrongly because Jesus was doing things he didn't exactly agree with. Let me read on. And when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say unto you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. That's a prophecy out of Isaiah concerning John the Baptist and the one he prepared the way for, the Messiah. Then here's a key verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Why? Because the Spirit of God moved on John but the Spirit of God can dwell in us, and we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. John was extremely righteous, but he did not have that impartation of the righteousness of God that comes when the gift of righteousness is deposited in our lives. That's why Jesus said those who are least in the kingdom of God are even greater than John the Baptist, which is a, a kind of a mind-boggling thought, isn't it? 
And then when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. So Jesus validated John's ministry. But then he added this statement. He said, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in a marketplace that call to one another and say, we've played the flute for you and you haven't danced. And we've mourned to you and you did not weep. And then he said, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon, he has a devil. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But then the powerful verse, but wisdom is justified of all her children. So that's the climactic statement of a comparison between John the Baptist's message and methods of ministry and Jesus's message and methods of ministry. And he summed it up by saying, wisdom is justified by all her children. Now that's found, as I mentioned, in two places, Luke chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 11. The word justified means vindicated or proven right. So the wisdom of certain behavior, the wisdom of certain ways of presenting the gospel, the wisdom of certain ways of reaching out to people is validated or vindicated by the fruit that it bears. And basically that's what Jesus was saying, that wisdom is justified or vindicated, proven right, proven that it came from God because it bore fruit for the Father's glory. See, the Holy Spirit is referred to in Ephesians 1.17 as the spirit of wisdom. So how do you qualify to be children of wisdom? If you are motivated by the Holy Spirit, if you are in touch with God, you pray, you seek the face of God, you find his unique calling for your life, and then you flow in it. People may disagree with the way you do things. People may disagree with what you emphasize out of God's word. But if you're listening to God, you're a child of wisdom because the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit that flows from the God who is called the only wise God. All the other gods are fabrications of human imagination. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the only wise God and he turns foolish people into wise men and women. That's part of what this transformation is all about. What is wisdom, by the way? Wisdom is accumulated learning and knowledge, and yet it's more than knowledge because you can have a head full of knowledge and have no wisdom about how to apply it to your life or how to live in this world, or how to effectively impact others. So it's not just synonymous with knowledge. It goes much further. In fact, wisdom implies four major things. If you are a person of wisdom, if the spirit of wisdom lives and dwells and manifests out of you, then you have keen discernment. You have deep understanding. You have sound judgment and mature insight. 
May I go through that again? If you have the wisdom of God in your life, you have keen discernment. You can't be fooled easily. You understand motives even when they're not expressed. You can sense it. That's the wisdom of God. You have deep understanding. You don't just read the Bible on surface levels. You don't just read stories. You find the gold, the hidden vein of gold underneath parables and stories of different patriarchal figures in the Old Testament and also the ministry of Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament because God unearths that treasure to you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation reveals it to you. Praise God. If you have the spirit of wisdom in your life, you have sound judgment and mature insight. Listen, there's no way of seeing the immaturity of people any more easily than following the thread of some comments on Facebook. (laughs) When some controversial issue or doctrine is posted and people all of a sudden start bashing one another, rude and calling each other the most terrible names because they disagree on some point of scripture. You can tell the truth, but do it with love. In fact, that's the motto of our ministry, speaking the truth in love. I don't always succeed in doing that, but I certainly try, and Elizabeth certainly tries, because we've tired of that that angry kind of religiosity that makes people point fingers of scorn and cut people off for issues that are debatable, issues that should be things we converse about in peace that were like the Berean men who discussed the scriptures that they didn't understand until they had the wisdom of God on the matter. That's the way we should be. See, in essentials, we have to have unity. But even when someone disagrees with us on an essential matter, we still don't have to act with such anger and such rudeness. All right? So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Jesus showed us right there uh, a glaring example of how two different people that are both following God can do things so differently. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness wearing garments of camel's skin and uh, Not only that, he had a very limited diet. Uh, Some say that locust is a plant. I don't know if it was the bug or the plant, but it still didn't sound very scrumptious. (laughs) He, He ate a very limited diet, and Jesus was feasting with sinners. Ah, that was mind boggling to John. How can he be the Messiah? He probably had an idea in his mind of what the Messiah would be like, and Jesus didn't fit the pattern. That's probably why he doubted, because he thought he was righteous to a high degree and separated from the world and very sanctified and very holy in the way he lived and taught. And he thought the Messiah would be a notch or two or quite a few notches above that. And instead, Jesus is doing things he would never even think of doing, allowing a woman to touch him when she washed his feet with her tears? How could any self-respecting rabbi do that? See, 
John was just taken aback by Jesus's methods and his message, that he was a friend of sinners. But I guarantee you that was the wisdom of the Father that led Jesus to do it the way he did it. And that was the wisdom of the Father that led John the Baptist to do it the way he did it. And both of them were motivated by the same Spirit to do things that were quite different, yet both were focused on achieving a common kind of result. Can't you see all kinds of examples of that in the body of Christ? I'm not going to mention any names because I don't like name calling, but some people will lash out against those who are very successful in ministry because they don't agree with their emphasis. Maybe they emphasize success too much, or they emphasize faith too much, or they emphasize uh, prosperity too much, or they emphasize last day prophecies too much. They disagree with their area of emphasis and think that they should be more inclined toward preaching repentance and the judgment of God. Well, I would dare to say we need all of it. We need all of it. We need our John the Beloveds that emphasize the love of God that brings healing to broken hearts. But we need brash Peter the Apostles too that are stern and tough and people like James. You go read the epistle of James he wasn't very subtle at all. He called the people he wrote the letter to you adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God? Well, James's methods are a little tough compared to some people, but if the Spirit of God moved him to write that way and to preach that way, I applaud it. And if the Spirit of God moved on John to emphasize love more, I applaud it because ch children of wisdom are vindicated by the results that their works bring. I think we need to see that. See, all men are born into the world originals, but most men die copies. And a big failing that a lot of people have, and I'm sure we've all been subject to it, is feeling inadequate ourselves, And so we look around ourselves to find people that seem to be more successful, more confident, more fruitful in the way they do things. And we tend to try, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, pattern ourselves after those people because we want that kind of success or that kind of fruit. In the process, that could be good sometimes because you can glean from others, but in the process, the real you might have gotten buried way back down the road. And that person that God called you to be may never manifest in this world. I know there's heretical things that do separate us, but I think we're too quick to jump on the heresy bandwagon and the apostate bandwagon. I personally believe in a post-tribulation view of the catching away of the saints. But some of my very best friends in the world believe in a pre-tribulation view. How can you fellowship together? Because we both love his appearing. The crown of righteousness is promised to those who love his appearing. Someone who believes in pre-trib loves the idea of Jesus appearing seven years before the end of the age. 
Someone who believes in post-trib loves the idea of Jesus Christ appearing at the end of the age to crush the Antichrist. Regardless of what the view is, we're still in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that what matters most? Children of wisdom. I've got two scriptures I want to bring out here. Romans 14, 13 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And I'm going to put them together. Let us not judge one another anymore. For quite often those who do, now here's the quote again, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So you miss this calling. You fail to become children of wisdom if you're too entrenched in the idea of measuring yourself by other individuals or comparing yourself to other individuals. Why don't you just find out what your unique calling is? Back around 1985, I went through kind of a, a dilemma, a time of struggle. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad thing. I just felt like I was preaching everything that everybody else was preaching. I felt like I was an echo of what I heard dozens of other people proclaiming from the pulpit. And so over a period of a year, because something worth getting is worth seeking for with real intensity. And over a period of a year, I fasted many times. I prayed hours at a time that God would give me my own unique expression of the word of God. And some marketing people would call it branding. I, I didn't term it that way back then because you never heard that term much back in 1985. But I really wanted God's brand on my life. I wanted him to burn in my heart something that was relevant and needed. And I did include that in my prayer. I said, God, I don't want to get out and left field with an, a doctrine that's not really helpful to people. I want it to be needed and I want it to be powerful. And at the time I was studying the names of God, and that was a powerful revelation to find out that he's Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, our healer, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness, El Shaddai, the almighty God, El Elyon, the most high, and on and on and on. It just pulled back a veil on who God is. And then one day God spoke to me and said, it's just as important for you to know your names in scripture. And that really grabbed my attention. And I started looking, thinking that I might find 20 or 30 or at the most <clears throat> 50 names for God's people. It was shocking to me when I found over 1,000 names and titles for God's people in the Word of God. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, his peculiar treasure. And on and on and on, we're referred to as the anointed, ambassadors for Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, the general assembly and church of the firstborn, more than conquerors, the temple of God, vessels of mercy. And now I've been studying it 35 years. I can preach hundreds of names and titles God's given us. And wow, what a transformation happened inside of me. And now one of my life's focuses is, is transferring this knowledge to other people and letting them know who they are in Christ. See, that's my particular vein of ministry. 
message. Now, there's other people that may have a completely different way of presenting the Word of God and may think that mine is not as relevant. Well, for them, it's not. For me, it is, because I'm listening to the Spirit of Wisdom, and I want them to listen to the Spirit of Wisdom, and we will complement each other. If you are just a carbon copy of someone else, one of you is not necessary, because God wants diversity. Every snowflake is different. Every thumbprint is different. Every son and daughter of God should have a different flavor of expressing the word and expressing the spirit. Now, I'm going to touch for just about another minute or two on the gift of wisdom. And we're going to pursue this probably more next week and the following week. We might get into some deeper aspects of the wisdom of God, but I did want to share this with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, or 2 Chronicles, rather, chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And this is the night where God appeared to Solomon and said, ask what I shall give you. Wouldn't you like to have a dream like that, where God shows up in your dream and says, just ask me, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me a king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me a king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude now. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you've not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life, he said, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people, God said, whom I've made you king over then wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And I also will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings of the earth before you or after you have ever had. Isn't that amazing? That when he asked for what was valuable, God gave him more than what he asked for. When his root motive was selflessness, what God did for him was much greater than if he had asked for something that was just beneficial for himself. You may say, well, that was Solomon, but I'm just struggling to make it through life. I work every day. I pay my bills. But wait a second. There's a deeper side to you. James 1 verses 5 and 6 says, and this is just as much a promise to you as God showing up in your dream if you were Solomon. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and upbraideth not. That means he doesn't uh, rebuke you for lack of wisdom. He doesn't speak demeaningly of you because of your lack of wisdom. He gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. So we're going to ask for wisdom at the end of this podcast. But the thing is, and I want to underscore this before we pray, why ask for something you already have? I think the proper way of praying is to acknowledge what's already yours. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, but of him, speaking of God, 
of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So when Jesus walked the earth, Paul even called him the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he was the wisdom of God in a bodily form. And if he is in your heart and in your life, Christ is made unto you wisdom. If he's there, wisdom is there. And so instead of begging God for something that is external, why not thank God for something that needs to be awakened internally? And not only asking him for the normal level of wisdom, but did you know that one of the nine supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit is referred to as the gift of the word of wisdom? That's more than just the underlying foundation of the wisdom of God in your life. That's supernaturally discerned words of wisdom that are spoken at the right time, at the right place, to the right person that has a completely transformational effect and impact on that person because you're a mouthpiece of the only wise God, the word of wisdom. And the Bible did say we should earnestly desire the gifts. So I urge you not only to pray for wisdom in general, but pray for the gift of wisdom to be awakened in your heart. Father God, right now, we acknowledge that you are the God of all wisdom, the God of all wisdom. And we acknowledge that the Son of God has been made unto us wisdom. So when he came into our hearts, the fullness of the wisdom of God was deposited within us. We lack understanding. We lack that deep insight so often concerning what we should do, when we should do it, where we should do it, with whom we should do it. Lord, let the plan and the purpose of God unfold in our lives and let wisdom flow like a river out of our innermost being. And you said we've got to ask in faith, so we praise you as if it's a done deal in Jesus' mighty name. Now, I want to mention three things. Number one, I'm urging you to visit our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Mike Shreve Ministries. And Elizabeth has really gotten genius in the way she categorizes everything. It's all to her credit. I didn't know anything about YouTube, and she's fixed our YouTube channel up very nicely. And so you can view, there's about seven or eight different categories of things you can watch. And in fact, this video podcast will be on our YouTube channel the video uh, of the audio that you may be listening to. Also, I would urge you to listen to my other podcast. It's called Revealing the True Light. And we also do that in both audio and video. And that's always dealing with comparative religion issues. Discover Your Spiritual Identity is all about our identity in Christ, who we are as sons and daughters of God. And I also urge you if you've been blessed by these podcasts and by everything else we're doing in the ministry, sow a seed, give, and it shall be given unto you. There's many thousands of dollars being spent to provide teaching to the people of God. And we need you, like Aaron and her held up the hands of Moses, we need partners and friends that will hold us up so that we can advance and do more for the kingdom of God. So would you contact us? Go to shreveministries.org and go to the Give section and just click on the buttons that are available for you there. And you can even become a weekly or a monthly partner. And we would deeply appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.